Welcome to The Empathic Advantage, the empowerment podcast for sensitive folk. I'm your host, Hanna-Marie and I'm on a mission to show you all the wonderful ways that you can thrive in this world, whether you call yourself an empath, a highly sensitive person, or simply a little different. In a world that's not exactly geared towards us feely folk, there are important conversations to be had to shift the paradigm that there is such a thing as being too sensitive. My guests and I will talk life, career and leadership, spiritual and less spiritual practices, and anything in between to empower you to use your endless gifts as an empath in truly all walks of life, whether you feel called by the healing arts or building rocket ships. So if you're ready to explore the possibility that your sensitive nature is truly nothing you need to fix, and that you can have the life you want not despite your empathic nature, but because of it, well, then you're home, my friend. I truly believe that now more than ever, the world could really use the empathic advantage, and I want to make sure that you find yours. So let's jump right in, shall we? Hello, everybody, and a very, very happy holiday season to you, wherever it is that you're tuning in from. I'm just so very happy that you're here because today, as the last episode of this year, I am bringing you a very deep conversation with a fascinating person on how we can use our empathic gifts to change the organizations that we work in or work with from the inside. Donna Jones is an organizational transformation facilitator. She has over 20 years of experience in facilitating learning and leadership, and she brings sense-making insights to teams and organizational dynamics that then directly inform the leadership team on how to proceed. And as a highly sensitive and empathic person, she uses her gifts to, in her words, see behind corners and articulate the invisible patterns that drive culture and decision-making within an organization. She goes in and sort of dissects an organization to understand exactly what's going on in the human dynamics. And of course, she uses her empathic gifts to do so. She was born to a family of wildlife photographers and she spent much of her childhood in the bush, as she puts it, and so attributes much of her understanding of the world to her love of nature and biology as well. She's also the author of Decision Making for Dummies, you know, one of those yellow and black books that you see. And she's contributed to the work of the systems theorist Urban Laszlo, as well as has written for the Huffington Post. So if you're currently working at a company where you feel like you're chasing meaningless quarterly goals and you truly feel the pull to do something more aligned to your true self, then this conversation is definitely for you. All right, on to my chat with Donna. Hi, Donna. It is amazing to have you on the podcast at last. I am so delighted. I can't say I've really enjoyed our conversations and I'm looking forward to having some fun with this one. So absolutely. I think our conversations have become increasingly more meta as we've gone along. So this should be a good one. Um, I am so intrigued to dive into all of your fascinating past, as well as all the work that you've been doing um, in the past, what is it now, 30 ish years um in this yeah. organizational space <laughs> so true, true yeah so can you yeah. maybe kick us off with a little bit of your background so that everybody understands who you are what you've been doing sure sure i am um, i started in uh, well i'm a biology nerd and i almost became a biologist that was the uh, you know actually an uh, ethologist studying animal behavior I eventually I ended up studying human behavior and human dynamics. So I guess there's a, there's a arc there, some sort of lateral thinking arc, but, uh, but yeah, that's where I began. Cause I was, I grew up in nature and just had a, a outdoor type of family. So we were always in the bush. So that is a bit of a background to, to becoming, you know, a professional facilitator, which, and that, actually happened after I'd been in management in a, in the federal, in the public system. And you really, when you're in that kind of a system, you get to study how things get done. Uh, just as an observer, you watch how, what, you know, where, where's the focus? What are the, how are crises created? <laughs> Which happens frequently and often. And so, you know, it was a lot of interesting uh experiences with different topics because I could not stay in one topic. I needed the diversity. And then when I came out to Vancouver, Canada, 
uh, from where I was in in the um, in the national capital, I started facilitating, and I was working with all different sectors, everything from policy to public consultation, national public consultation processes. In you know, I've also done national defense, you name it, and you know, a certain amount of bi biology, you know, biochemical stuff, all range of topics. I, somebody said, "Oh, we hear you're an art and culture expert." <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but can I listen to it all? Yes, it, because when you listen to it all, uh, you hear some fundamental patterns in terms of the structure of the issues that are being discussed. And that's the value of, of the, the sensitive, sometimes curse that, <laughs> that, that people have who, who are more sensing than others have, you know, just, it's just, just a natural thing. It's just, we all have that capacity. We need to make that clear, but some of us just have it uh, more available to us. And it's, it's actually the way we navigate. And it seems to be, you can't turn it off. You, you know, you're on tap all the time and, and, and it's really fascinating because it means you can see things other can't. So, or don't, uh, we've been around the world twice. I'm insatiably curious about worldviews and how people see the world. And the first one was when apartheid was still ruling in South Africa. So let's not do any math, please, people. But uh, but that's where I learned a lot about, you know, how do we sort people based on what they look like? Or it was very confusing uh, experience, but also very enlightening as well, because, uh, yeah, we're an interesting species. Mm. So when did you put a finger on the fact that you're more sensitive of, or like, when, when did you develop that language about yourself? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, recently, more recently even, uh, but certainly in 2004, because I had been working with a lot of high-end conflict teamwork, and I would come out of it not able to move for about a week. Uh, in one case, I was crawling down the, the hallway floor just to get to the bathroom. So I thought, well, this is stupid. So I got into the car, drove myself to emerge and said, you know, <laughs> I think there's something wrong with me. I can't. I can't function uh, right now. And they said, oh, no, you're fine. You're on your levels. Everything's wonderful. So I went home and thought, okay, there's something else going on here that the contemporary conventional medicine can't, can't, doesn't understand. It's just not part of that scientific uh, outlook or scientific frame. So yeah, that's when it began. And I finally found somebody who came up with language. And then as you dive deeper into it, you discover, oh, we've got even more language and now we have language called the sensitive, sensory sensitivity processing uh, that came out of Elaine Aaron's work. Uh, and, and then multiple things since then have come up, but it's been very progressive. Uh, and certainly we didn't have much language around it. You know, when I first, when someone first said, oh, look, you're, you know, this is what's happening to you when, when you're taken out by really intense, difficult emotions that are running in the room and they you're in the midst it's like being in a soup <laughs> of feelings and you have to you have to as a facilitator you got to process it in order to help people but you also have to stay upright you can't you know you you, you have to stay alive and so you have to, i developed i had to develop a more more intentionality in how you manage yourself in those environments uh because because it is there is a, a function to it that's it's um you can see ahead, it, you know, Rita McGrath talks about seeing around corners. It, it's a natural thing to do. It, it's just, and so it gets very confusing when you can see what's coming up and, and other people are still focused on trying to run back to the past. So yeah, that the language is developing. It's always developed. I've gained a whole bunch of new language last year and, and I'm adding more as we go because more and more there's recognition that this is a trait. It's not a pathology. So it's a, you know, I think these, these traits, as they call them in psychology, are extremely valuable for organizations that are really not sure what to do with the level of uncertainty we have, certainly not prepared for the volatility that exponential change is, is bringing on. And, and yet they've got a group of people in, inside, most likely who can help them a lot, but they just aren't engaging them in that mm. way. So how do you work with teams? I understand you do like organizational transformation and kind of managing those transitions from, from one state to another. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the level I wanted to work. I did a lot of uh, team facilitation and more often than not, they were stuck in something, you know, and, and usually it was a pattern uh, for well, the ones coming to mind right now is, is this team highly valued harmony, but there was a misunderstanding of what that meant. So harmony to them meant you couldn't disagree. You couldn't lay issues on the table. And it was just like working with a, a pressure cooker because sooner or later, one or more people are just going to go kablawi because they're not really working with the issues. They're trying to smooth it over and pretend everything's fine and, you know, pretend perfection and all of that. When there was all this emotional energy tied up in trying to make it look like they were harmonious, they just weren't using the energy. It was repressed. And so that's an example where you, you go in and go, okay, well, this is, this is pretty straightforward. And when you pull it out from the unconscious and put it in front of a team and say, okay, does this make sense? Are you, is this what you're seeing or feeling? And, and they, and I've had people break down because the truth of it was so honorable. It's so honest. I should say the truth of it was so honest for them. And it was what they needed to know because it affirmed a, a, you know, a really rough spot emotionally for them. And then they could further, it's like a breakdown or breakthrough. You get, you know, and sometimes the breakdowns lead to breakthroughs, if, again, based on choice. But, um, but that would be a common thing. It, it, you know, teams that are stuck and, and just not sure how to get through it. Just what's the, you know, or, or just actually the easier thing is to blame. It's to point fingers. Well, they didn't, he, you know, he didn't, and they're not delivering and they're not delivering and they're not delivering and they're not, you know, it's a mantra of sorts. But in reality, they're not delivering for a reason. Um, in another experience, I was thinking about this on my walks over the weekend. Uh, another experience was with a group of principals of an organi organization or a company, I should say, and, and they wanted to bring in junior partners, but the, the handoff was tough because you've got some very senior level people who've got, they're, they're managing the projects, they're holding those projects nice and tight and close to them. And they, where do you find the entry point if you're a junior coming in? Like, how do you how do you engage in that? Where, where do we start? And it took me a night, like an afternoon after the first day, and I could see where the issues were. Took a, a couple hours just to sort of walk through the decision-making process that they used in the, in the project management process. And when you understood that, then you go, okay, you know, now I can see it's, we just need to pivot this way and try that angle. And it's, you know, it's a lot of experimentation. Humans are complex. Dynamics are frequently complex. And so you, you kind of try things and see how they work. Uh, but more often than not, it's just once you get one bit of clarity, the whole thing just, whether it's the thing or not, it doesn't matter because the clarity just opens things up for people and they find their own solutions. So I think in one of our calls, you said as well that you see around the corners and you kind of see what's coming up and you see, you kind of go into the conversation or, or into the organization and you see okay, here's, here's what's going on. Here's like, it sounds to me that you're almost intuitive about it or maybe fully intuitive about what's going on. So tell us a little bit more about how you work with teams and how do you kind of go in and what is it that you're sensing as a, as an empath as well? Oh yeah. Beautiful question. Uh, you're always working in layers and it took quite a while to figure this out. I mean, you know, just, just lots of experience going in and and well, the funniest example I have is I was working with a group of a team of municipal engineers and they were doing their strategy and they were coming up with all kinds of great. This is a long time ago, but they were doing all kinds of, you know, here's what we want to do. Action list, action planning. Everybody loves action planning until you get to the do part. And then all of a sudden there's this. And as as they're doing it, I get this feeling that they're they're floating, you know, and I think, what the heck? And I had to call a break because I couldn't make sense of it. I mean, I just, in the moment, I couldn't make sense of it. So I called a break and said, it's for you. It's for me, not for you. <laughs> just say, take a break. Give me a minute here. And then I just stood there and, and just felt it and thought, oh my gosh, they're not at all attached to doing any of this stuff. So when they came back, I said, so, you know, are you planning on doing any of this? And they said, oh, no. Not at all. I thought, okay, well, that was my validation that that told me I, I, you know, I'd interpreted that accurately. So that's really it. it you know, as as in the role I play is is I'm getting some information, but how I interpret it means I have to get out of the way. So in answer to your question, how do I work with teams? Mostly, I just go in and ask a bunch of annoying questions and then listen, 
and see what they do, you know, see what their responses are, listen, you know, it, it's a, a very deep layer of, of listening. Uh, because if you cannot listen at that level, you don't get the data, you just get the, you know, and usually you can tell when people are saying one thing, but feeling another, because there's this, uh, it's almost like the veneer on a, on a piece of furniture, the veneer starts to peel off. <laughs> and, and, you know, the top level of it starts to come off and you go, okay, there's more to it. So sometimes I'll just simply say, okay, I'm hearing this, but what's really going on? And there's going to be one person that's going to tell the truth and, and just say, no, we're here to do this and not that. And yeah, it, it, it varies. You just, yeah, you, as you say, you're, 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 it's very intuitive and it's always about signals and cues. It's always about signals and cues. That's my. That's really fascinating because I think as well, one of your interviews that you did, did just very recently with, I think it was Radical World. Um, I think you said as well that working with our emotions is what makes us adaptable. Um, can you speak to to that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, gosh, look at the pandemic. Great example. We had probably one of the best opportunities to ramp up and just break through to whole new levels of thinking, whole new levels of innovation, uh, whole new levels of purpose, you know, radical purpose, look at things that are much higher. And there was a massive rush to buy toilet paper or uh, run back to the familiar as things, you know, and, and the kinds of innovations were, well, we're going to adapt this factory from doing this to this, producing uh, hand sanitizer instead of whatever it was doing before. That's not the level of adaptability that I'm referring to here. I'm, I'm referring to one that, that recognizes we're part of a much larger natural system and, and recognizes that that we are evolving. The world is evolving at a fairly fast rate. So between the loss of biodiversity, all the signals around climate change that we have going on, there's just the whole business of, of governance models that no longer work the way they, they were originally designed to do back when things were obviously less speedy and less complex. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a big part of it. We're evolving, and um, but not adapting fast enough. I think it goes back to fear as well, right? Huge, huge. It we just haven't come up. I mean, you, you know, you you watch a number of the leaders who are acting in purely out of emotional need have not done the work to become, you know, move through their difficult emotions and come to a much deeper and more profound understanding of either who they are or how to lead in a more compassionate and empathic way. Uh, it's just all about using force, consistently using, I mean, the whole business about putting little monitors on your computer to see how long you spent on your computer was just absolute nonsense. That speaks to a very high level of insecurity on the part of the uh, authorities. So I think we're, we're seeing the, the, you know, the emperor without clothes, so to speak, there's a lot of, of um, a lot more transparency than there has been in the past. And, and I think that's a good thing because now it allows us all to make a more conscious choice around, do I work for somebody who, who is, is about forcing me into doing things? Do I you know, exercise my autonomy and my capacity and free will and all of those things to, to do better things and be more aligned with my sense of purpose, my goals, my aspirations. So how have you seen in the past 30 something years, some of the organizational culture change? It sounds to me as though it's, there's been a huge shift and I, I can definitely, you know, speak to that in terms of, from my own experience, just in terms of the consciousness, in terms of the conversations that we're having, in terms of, you know, how mental health is something that we can actually talk about now, that it's not something that has to be shoved away and kind of dealt with in in silence and somewhere in, in darkness, but in terms of what you're seeing from the organizational culture side of things, what kinds of conversations, what's the, what's the quality of conversations that you can have these days, as opposed to some 20, 30 years ago? Great question. Uh, one of the things I noticed is, is back even 20 years ago, when I go back and, and look at my writing at the time, quantum physics used to be a 
in the what I call the woo woo file. So there was a file called woo woo, and it and in it went everything we didn't understand. So that was uh, neuroscience. It was quantum physics. It was a whole bunch of of stuff that if you stay in the curious zone, you'd you you know you'd learn. But but uh, out of fear, it went in the woo woo zone. We don't know. We don't know about that. Um, that that's changed. More of that is on the table. Uh, the, as you, I mean, you've mentioned it already. Just the mental health part of it, starting to recognize that that um, we we have we have the opportunity to work with adverse conditions as a positive, not as a as a you know human oppression. Uh, although obviously there's some of that going on in the world today because that's a very old habit. When we don't get what we want, you go out and force somebody to do it. Uh, that's a very old pattern, but it's not an evolutionary pattern. It's not adapting. Uh, there's no adaptive agility in using force at all. And so, you know, the changes that I'm seeing big time in my previous podcast, we were recording alternative governance models. 20, you know, 20 from 2013 on when I was uh, doing a, my first podcast, a lot of that. So that's a great sign. And just also the, the autonomy that's built into those and the, and the original motivation, is it to force other people to do what I think they should do, or am I giving them the freedom to contribute to a big goal? So instead of moving it, you know, instead of the focus being on profit, there's an increasing amount of understanding that it's more profitable when you focus on a higher purpose, because people care about that. Who cares about meeting the next quarter? Honestly, that's just about as low level a goal as you can possibly make. So it, it's, it's really shifting the orientation and the focus from doing whatever it takes to survive, including debilitate the planet and, and you know, undermine social health, undermine ecological health, to doing something of real value and of real benefit that goes far beyond, have I got enough money in my pocket? You know, that level of need, whether it's in a person or in a company, is, is like a soul sucking vacuum. Mm. <laughs> so I think we're shifting out of that consciousness and into a consciousness that says we're here, we're here to do something meaningful. We can use the worst things that we've experienced to do better things, but, and I should say, and it takes an engagement with becoming, with growth, with leadership growth as a self leader, as a, as a collective uh, part of the intelligence. Hey, I wanted to ask you before we continue with our conversation that if you're finding this episode insightful to share it with a friend or a few who need to hear this, I want to get my message of resilience, hope and empowerment into the ears of as many empaths as I can possibly reach. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your help. Now back to the episode. That is, that is music to my ears, honestly, because I have been a part of <laughs> conversations and companies where the quarterly or yearly goals have been to grow to a certain number of people. Um, and that's been a big, big idea because then, you know, certain, certain pieces fall into place and, and we can do bigger things and whatever it is. But it, there's, I've found myself thinking that I am insane for trying to get something more meaningful out of those quarterly vision meetings that we're having or those strategy meetings we're having because like, guys, honestly, what does it matter? Okay, so we hit that number of people. What then? Like what happens in the world? What kinds of changes have we now initiated thanks to the fact on a larger scale? And I felt that missing essence that missing core of the valuable work that I'm putting in and I'm like I'm here I'm doing this for eight nine hours a day and then what but from your experience how can we for instance if you know there are people listening in and going like oh my god I'm working in a in a in an organization just like that I'm working in an organization where we're still chasing quarterly goals where we're still kind of um not thinking about the bigger purpose and I don't know how to approach this, what would be your recommendation? Is there a way for more sensitive, more, let's say, purposely different, driven people to drive that change from, from the ground up? Yeah, it's a great question. I, 
some of us, some of us who've been working in the on the riding on, on the edge riders place, have been completely frustrated by the inaction of of company at the executive level to make those kinds of bold moves and and really make the adaptive approaches. For, you know, you just got to just do it instead of uh, running away and going golfing or doing something else. Bold decisions is, are what we need, and I'm not seeing enough of those yet. So, what do we do for change? I think it's going to be the 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 organizations that are sprouting up out of nowhere that are made of of employee consortiums, and they set them up based on values. They set them up based on purpose and higher purpose. It's not you know to breathe. It's not the profit oriented goal, as I think Drucker once said. It's got to do more to do with what difference shall we make in the world. And what you were describing earlier, it's all about that big why question. Why do we exist? You know, and will anybody notice if we disappear? Well, we might have some jobs lost, but if you haven't made a big contribution, then nobody's going to notice. And you've got some really fearful people who, certainly in the pandemic, we saw them quickly, you know, sell the shares, pay off the executive, pay off the shareholders, and then fire everybody else. That's about as low life as you can possibly get. So I believe that we're we're in a, a place where we can start seeing some more ethical and more principled approaches to how we adapt that are really grounded in being better at being human. Um, now, does that, how does that answer the question? How does that solve the person who's working inside of a archaic you know, organization? I'm a big fan of being aligned with your, with your sense of self. And if that means you find a bunch of others who are equally dissatisfied, then you form a new company and you follow the principles. You will find it difficult. It will be definitely more difficult than you know, pointing and telling people what to do because it requires more of us to engage Patagonia or the poster child for you know, when the going gets tough, they got tougher. They did not run, fold, run back to safety and say, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do that. No, they stepped into the into the breach there and worked with that that meltdown. You know that point of ethical versus do I stick? What do we stick to? It's a very messy zone. Can and you I speak think, to um, that a little bit more for the people who don't know the story Patagonia? of Patagonia? Yeah, well, the I mean, I, I probably it's really easy just to look them up, but they basically feel the planet. They, they the ownership the planet belongs to them owns them. That's the accountability. It's not to shareholders so that you can be share, you know, buybacks and all that other kind of manipulative strategy to make it look better than you than it really is. It's it's just our accountability and our responsibility is to the planet itself. That's the Patagonia promise. It is it is a true challenge to to be in alignment with yourself and your principles and your values. That's that's the calling. Mm. So what do you think is the so if we're talking about leadership, um, what do you think are the, the characteristics of leaders who are going to succeed in this new era? Uh, I mean, I think adaptability is right at the top of the list, but it's emotional agility as well. Uh, if there's not a fluency with emotions. So I think fundamentally, whether we like it or not, we, we, we are emotional beings. That's how we survived from caveman days it's it's what you work you know what you what you rely on but it's not just that it's also attunement with the environment and the context we're in so i call it contextual awareness and it's different from situational awareness where i'm sitting across from you and you and i've got something to work out and we're talking it through context is what's going on that's having an influence on the emotional state of any of 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 all of us actually so example that I use have used in the past is in 9-11 in the United States during 9-11 there people who had not been anywhere near the event and had heard about it uh, suffered greater heart disease and who reported on it as a PTSD kind of experience suffered heart ailments and, and cardiovascular issues they weren't in the event they just heard about it so it, these motions are viral uh, in the sense that they they impact you in ways that are most people are unconscious of. So I think that you have to really use that compass to decide what do I do with my career? Do I so-called suck it up? My generation was trained to do that. You're supposed to suck it up. 
And I'd never understood that because, well, first of all, I couldn't do it. So I felt like I was a failure, but <laughs> I was the one part of it. But the other part of it is, you know, you suck it up for what? So you can get to retirement and then go have some fun or you suck it up. So you, you don't actually, you're not in alignment with yourself. And then you've got cancer and heart disease and all those other lovely illustrations of, of, you know, dissonance. I'm, I'm a real big fan of, of people being true to themselves. So obviously, I think everybody's picking up on that, but it sounds to me as though the future really belongs to the empathic among us. Yeah, I think so. In leadership, in policymaking, yeah. in just driving the world, world forward. There is, and it's so interesting as well, like I've seen that, obviously what you're talking about like 100% makes sense to me because that's how I've been thinking for a while now as well and I've seen those shifts happening and and in my 10 years of being in you know out of union and actually in the work life it is interesting that I've even seen those changes happen in real time and one of the greatest ones I think for me is because I have a lot of startup experience seeing how investors are after something completely different these days they are not after quick wins marketed as much as you can bring it on as many people as you can we'll figure out the monetization later everything is about sustainability these days and and not in not even in the just in the context of how can we be environmentally sustainable but like also financially sustainable slower growth but show me how you're doing it. Show me that you're moving. Show me that you're going somewhere. Everybody's looking for something different. Um, the pace is much slower. The expectations are are deeper. And there's definitely an expectation for more transparency as well. So it's interesting that those things are kind of coming together because I'm assuming that you're working a lot with larger corporations you're working with, you know, um, the public sector, you're working with those bigger kind of movers and shakers in that in that sense yeah i mean that's the the intention really is is especially i've stayed with business all along because it has such an impact on people's lives and people spend a lot of their life at work and so if we can improve the workplace environment so that that people can contribute their their deeper talent their deeper creative talent and not try to confine it to a small box um, then there's growth, there's real growth, serious growth that, that isn't just confined to financial, but we've got some social and, and, and ecological value because it's, it's very entangled. So yeah, it's, it's about time. The, the leader of today has to be well in tune with their emotions. They have to use the unexpected to, to evolve more deeply with themselves, being more in alignment. And if you're inside an organization and it's not the right organization for you, get out, go find a better one or make one. We, we have that capability now. And it's so nice to hear what you're saying about the investors because they, you know, they didn't, that didn't used to be, I mean, they're still the old category, but the, you know, they're becoming more, I think investors are really the ones that can drive the change. So going back to the, because you've mentioned a number of times now, the pandemic experience that we all had it's I'm, I'm wondering what's your take on if the world by and large would have been led by people who were more empathic more intuitive more in, in tune with their own emotions more emotionally regulated what do you think the experience would have been for us all well we definitely would not have had the polarity come out of it the way we did because there would have been recognition that people are operating out of their needs and their needs is not to be told what to do. Some people need that and some people will go there, but there were, there were a lot of people caught in the middle when the, those decisions got made, certain decisions got made and it just pushed these, you know, the two groups apart. But in the middle, we're, we're a group that were looking at things more thoughtfully, I would say. So that's one thing that we would see. And that would not have, we wouldn't have seen the same damage to the social fabric that, that we have seen. I think that's a, a big variable. Um, I don't think we would have seen if people are more emotionally in turn, we wouldn't have seen the desperate tactics of a group of companies that did what we talked about earlier. They strategized an exit that paid off the top and, and, and fired the bottom. We wouldn't have seen that. Uh, I think we'd see more decisions that were based on how can we create better work environments for people that actually found it easier to work at home 
because in the office they were, you know, it was too noisy for them. The sensitive, the sensitives were. So in other words, we'd have environments that were better suited to who we are and that's diverse. And so that would mean more thoughtful design, more thoughtful spatial design, uh, not just in terms of, of the actual where we put spaces for functionality. Sensitive people would have recognized that we do have very different needs and we're really looking at it through those lenses. And through by looking at it through those lenses, we, we get a much better understanding around what's going to be, what's gonna work. So it's so very interesting to see how I think the makeup, like as the makeup of leadership changes, as the makeup of who runs our businesses changes, there's going to be a lot more conversation around how we can actually support the very diverse group of people that we have working for us. And so I'm actually really interested to understand as well from your point of view, like all of that you've seen, what do you see would be, let's say somebody's listening in and they are a leader in an organization. They're thinking, okay, there's obviously productivity and ideas and innovation that I'm leaving on the table because I cannot support the diverse group of people that I have, although they look very similar, but I'm sure that, you know, they are different in, in, in their needs to the environment that makes them work best. What would you say to them? I mean, gosh, it's just be much more thoughtful about how you design space. And, and, you know, as I said, it's about that purpose of space. I listened to somebody go into the details of this. It was an American company. And they had done a rather brilliant job. Now they had done it between introverts and extroverts. They'd created spaces where people could go and get work done. It doesn't deal with the social issues of racism or being different um, or any of that. That's a whole other layer of emotional maturity that I, I think uh, we can, we can, we can, we need to step into because it's just logical, but you know, that's the, that's the other part of it. So the spatial part of it, is, is just, I, I think it's just people recognizing those differences. We do have the data, it's, it's not missing, it's available. So that's the one dimension of it. The other one, as I said, is, is uh, what, are the, what are the things that we bring into both the nature of the work, like for example, the software engineers who <laughs> have a tendency to work in closets and, and uh, not just because they're sensitive, because they are, but, but also because the, the work is such that they can do that, they can go and work in a closet. I think it's just being a more attuned to who we, you know, how diverse we are as a species and how complex we are. It's a beautiful thing. And we treat it as if we're, you know, a mono human, you know, we're all cut the same, we're not. And thank goodness for that. So, so the, the capacity to be very comfortable with difference across the board is a part of the leader's uh, regimen, I think it's just part of what a leader, a real leader, not not the ones that are just running off of authority, but ones that are really looking at understanding who we, who we are in the world. That's an imperative. Diversity of people and diversity of thought and and worldview and everything else keeps humanity vibrant. I think there's a direct connection between fractal connection between those two. Going back to the fear aspect, you've also talked about fear as something that it that has that energizing um, power to it. How do we use fear to propel us forward? Well, I think you move through it. I mean, if I look at my own experiences with uncertainty, which have been ridiculous. So now we'll, we'll bring forward the thing I kind of side mentioned at the beginning, <laughs> which was uh, spending nine years homeless um, because you know the ideas that I had didn't fit because there was less interest in personal growth and more interested in buying off-the-shelf solutions uh, because there was more fear than curiosity. So, so you know it is that misrepresentation of fear as being ubiquitous when in fact it's it's uh, as I think Gavin De Becker says nicely it's just a mere servant of our intuition. So I think we have to reframe fear completely and bring it back down to what it's always been, which is a way for us to, to, to navigate, but you move through it. I mean, obviously you, you don't get somewhere, you don't get to a new job, you don't get to a new career, you don't get to a different you know, country unless you move through that fear and say, I am capable of handling whatever comes at me. I can trust myself. I 
I know myself well enough to know that no matter what comes at me, I can, I can work with this. And it's that curiosity, that stance of confidence and openness that is critical to being able to work with fear in a constructive way. Because when you look at what happens when people don't use it constructively and they use it for force and destruction, we've, we've mastered, as a species, we've mastered destruction. We've got that down. We have done more damaging decisions than I, any other species has ever done on this planet. And so we have the opportunity to do the opposite as well, which is to completely work with fear, not as a excuse for being small, not as an excuse for doing nothing, not as an excuse for limiting our, you know, our innovations to little tweaks, but as a way to propel much bigger, much bigger achievements. So how do you use your fear? Well, the, the nine years I spent homeless was, was a pathway through that. So I, I sort of at the time you're going, okay, now what, you know, you're worrying with uncertainty every moment of the day unless you managed, unless I managed to find a place where I could stay for a bit and have some stability, it's, it's there all the time. So it's mostly recognizing what am I afraid of and where do you invest your mental thinking? Where do you invest your emotional focus? Do you invest it on into the fear and the loss and all of that? Or are you able to shift perspective? And this was something I learned, a skill you learned, shift perspective to see I have choice here. I have choice in how I respond. I have choice to invest in my curiosity and not my fear. Those are two, it's a kind of like a, a two sides of the same coin. You know, be very selective about it. That's how you use you use fear. You know, it's 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 there, but it's not there to control you. It's there to let you know what's coming when. And then you, you know, it's your job as a, as a human, as a leader to, to work with it directly and go, okay, thank you. Got the warning and then keep moving forward. So if you don't mind sharing, what did it take for you to stop being homeless and get off the road in the end? I wrote on the road a lot. I wrote decision-making for dummies. I wrote, you know, the other things we've talked about and expression is the best way to keep clear, keep, keep the trauma out, you know, just keep, get the darker emotions out and, and to, to keep clearing them as you go. So expression was a huge part of it. For me, it was just, I, I didn't really change much uh, outside of being far more agile and less fixed about everything. I, you don't fight reality when it, you know, the recognition you're okay, wait a minute, I'm on the street and all I've been doing or sort of on the road and I've just been thinking about why am I on the road? I want to, you know, I need to, I want to play, but, and all the wants and needs that, you know, flash through your, past your, your, uh, your eyes. And you think, Hmm, you know, I'm just fighting with, with here I am. Let's, let's work with this. You know, this is, this is where I am. So, so it was a great way of, of being present. And if you, if you project into the future, you're going to worry a lot. It's a pointless exercise. If you go to the past, you're, you're in the past, and that's not helping you in the present. So it, it, it trains you to be in the moment with whatever you're experiencing and to appreciate it, not to be fight with it, but to appreciate it. And I found that shift was huge. Yeah, I started, I also started podcasting in 2008, right at the point where I hit the road. And that was also interesting because um, I've never had to search for guests. People have shown up and, and in, a, in the most remarkable ways. And, um, but the podcasting on the road has, has its moments, you know, because you've got to find, you, know, you don't have, you don't have a Joe Rogan studio. You don't have the boom. You don't have all the cool stuff. Uh, you've just got a little laptop and then, you know, and you're, and you're wandering and, you know, the course of doing that provided with enough normalcy that you had something, I had something to hold on to. You have, you know, what is, what am I holding on to? My vision has always been, that had, didn't, didn't go away, but my confidence to my, in getting there what, certainly did. I mean, my vision was that we would begin to care about this planet and make our decisions accordingly for emotional, ecological, social, human health. And of course, economic health would fall from that naturally. 
that's been the vision. And, and uh, I lost sight of it, you know, a couple of times in the course of that period, but not permanently, just enough to kind of go, why am I here again? You always, I always had to reframe it. And then the second part of the question is, who do I become through this? You know, because I'd had skirmishes with depression before and I thought, yeah, that didn't really help. So I don't really want to do that again. Let's let's do something more constructive with it. And that's where the question, who do I become through this? If this has any value to anybody besides me, it's been worth the, the ride. It's been worth the journey because somebody else. I want to drive home, I think, two points from what you just said, because I think what you said was just very incredibly profound. Firstly, it is, I feel like there was a choice in you to choose how you're going to relate to that situation. And for anybody who's listening, and I know many of my fellow empaths and sensitive people are struggling with their mental health, simply holding on to the fact that this is an experience that I'm going through rather than the fate of my existence as such. And the more that you can expand into that choice piece and that freedom piece of like, I can actually choose how I'm going to relate to the situation right now, although it is incredibly difficult, it really does require a lot of mental stamina, but the tool is there and that tool is choice. And the second piece I wanted to reflect back to you and to the listeners as well is the service piece. When you find yourself being of service to others you have less time to think about your own issues as such and sort of brood over all of the things that you've gone through and all of the thoughts in your head and take all of that mental energy and put it towards something where you believe you can be of service. And that's been echoed in so many ways. And I cannot remember who that spiritual teacher was But I remember coming across a YouTube video once, it was a couple of years ago, where this teacher spoke about how we wield our mind like a knife. And it is not supposed to be wielded against ourselves, rather than using it to create something externally. And so I just wanted to kind of pause here on that service piece as well as like if you're using your mental power to analyze which god knows i've done that oh my god i've done that so many years um and i sometimes still do that and i have to remind myself not to turn that knife on myself and so i think the service piece really helps us here and helps us kind of go out of this state of eternal brooding over our own issues Beautifully said. It's funny. I was just reading a book on emotional agility and there was something on self-compassion there. And the the research basically shows that those who can help, you know, have self-compassion, meaning I, you know, recognizing this is just a passage. It all, you know, it's nothing's permanent in that sense. I'm just moving through this um, and and holding that for oneself are far more resilient. So that, which I, I, I mean, compassion for myself has been a difficult one it's not an easy an easy one and anybody that's ever been in a difficult or adverse condition would would be able to relate to that if you haven't been in an adverse you know place at any point then i'm i'm not sure you've had the challenge to go deeper i'm sure you know it, it's waiting for you at some point uh, to to actually take that move and 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 live and work with it more directly but um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. So self-compassion is, is um, pretty darn important. For sure. And I think probably all of my listeners right now are going like, what? There are people who are not working on themselves and they can live like this? I think no sensitive person or empath in the entire world who would be coming on to listen to this show would would be those who are not intimately familiar with all of those dark places and and what they represent and and how they need to work with them so is there anything else that I haven't perhaps touched upon or asked you about that you would like to share with everybody not off the top Uh, I love the questioning I love the conversation thank you so much I I think if there's anything that I'll I'll just place out there it, it is to be 
very curious with each with with yourself with each other so that we can learn from the the widest differences possible and sometimes stepping into that zone where you have to hear things that you really a don't think you believe in or or don't want to hear it's difficult and so you have to be very gentle and kind with yourself but those are the places where you you know you step up that notch that the, the next level of awareness the next level of of leadership is not made by being small you know it's made by stepping in and up every time and that means being you know having practices in place to stay emotionally well i think that's uh, really key if people are interested to learn more about you, to learn more about how you work with organizations, any of the work that you've put out there, where can they find you? Where can they contact you, work with you? Yeah, best place. Well, the website is Donna, D-A-W-N-A Jones.com. I just put that up. So there's some things I'm still working on there. And uh, other than that, it'd probably be LinkedIn messaging me through LinkedIn, which is D-A-W-N-A-H Jones. Uh, that's the LinkedIn handle. Uh, I had, do have the podcast, which is uh, Inspirational Insights Podcast. It's the second one. I started this one in 2016. It's still going. And I started it. The first episode was with Irvin Laszlo on uh, consciousness. What is reality? So we covered quite a range of topics, everything from agile to, uh, yeah, to that. It's, it's on um, Spotify, Inspirational Insights, From Insight to Action, Spotify, and all the usual places. Thank you so much, Donna, for joining me today. It was a pleasure having you and having this very insightful and incredibly illuminating conversation. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.